With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Forget our brothers and sisters out there in Japan suffering from the earthquake. There's a lot of heroes coming out, and the first hero that's coming to mind is those firefighters who are fighting those nuclear reactors. So let's send our thoughts, prayers, donations, contributions, whatever we can do to help the brothers and sisters because we want the same for us. And what goes around comes around, and good karma is always good. We also have to give some prayers and thoughts to our people up there in North Africa, up there in, in, in the Libyan region. You know, it's caught between the two elephants of uh, this uh, strife. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Batavia, let's give our groove, our thoughts, our nations, whatever we can do to the impending crisis in Cote d'Ivoire. We're going to talk about that, I believe, Wednesday night. It's going to be a battle, Cote d'Ivoire. And I believe we have a show, or is that, I believe Tuesday night, we're going to be doing a show, uh, Battle, the African Union, or also known as the AU versus NATO. What is going on, people? I'm here this Sunday here in L.A., and just as I was coming on air, the sun came out. It was been dreary, a little cold out here. So how are you folks doing out there in Wonderland? Hope everything's going well. Any thoughts, complaints? Life is treating you good. Life is treating you well. If you got something to say for this next hour, come to me, 646-595-2892, 646-595-2892. If you're hearing this online, you can go to the chat room, follow me. Talk to me, see what's going on. I have ghost the chat room again, so that way people can't see the other people because it seems like every time there's a, a chat going on, someone says something and someone just goes off the handle, and next you know, it's like all this arguments and stuff like that. So if you are coming to us on this chat room, I can see you ghost. Except we see anybody else but you. It's just about you and only you. But yes, there's about 90 people on already people today i want to do this show for some time i've been waiting for so long to do this show and it's actually about a science fiction writer author extraordinaire tokei oluwule 
Nigerian author based out of Boston, uh, Cambridge, actually, at this moment, with his lovely wife and two kids. He wrote an awesome novel called Being Police a couple years back, and he finished the sequel some time ago, the explosive sequel, The Girl from Mag Duggery. I have to ask him where that name came from because he picked those names. I don't know what it is. comes from his book. What's that word I'm looking for? Statement of disclosure. African military together. Interesting. I had no idea he wants to was an editor on some of our old comic books back of which we're still publishing books, not that good stuff, a graphic novel we have coming out. And I had no idea he was even interested in writing a book until one day I asked him off the cuffs what's been going on. Oh, I'm just finishing up my book. I'm like, what book? So he whipped out a copy. Uh, I believe it wasn't the actual copy. I think it was called, it was the plates. I'm not too sure, or the proofs. I'm not too sure. Schemed a couple of words through the book. And I said, what kind of book is this? You know, like, what's the genre? He said, it's a genre I like, you know, a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of action, a little bit of uh, African mythology in there, African gods. For example, The Blade of Shango. I just love how that just flows in the book. And I said, whoa. So you know I had to get the option on it because when I read it, the first thing that came to mind was something like Akira meets Blade Runner. I mean, the book is vicious. It's, it's vicious. And I'm going to give you some information how to contact him. I'm actually going to read some excerpts from the book also, and I'm going to see if we can get him online. He has a lot going on back in Boston, uh, Cambridge, I'm sorry, New England, we'll just say, back in Master Hometown. And I believe he's actually promoting his book today. I could be wrong, and I'm hoping we can get him into L.A. sometime soon for one of the comic book shows. But you know I'm trying to get the option on the sequel also. So, people, let me give you a little excerpt. From this book, Being Police, it opens up with Teddy Bear's Picnic. Do you have him yet? Do you have him? Churchill yelled again. I pursued Terry Redwood's red and white teddy bear from through the swirling red, green, and blue of net space for the last 20 minutes. Of course, I didn't have him yet. Redwood moved so fast, his image distorted when he hit the off-ramp to the Southside Shopping Complex. I'm leeching on. Churchill's voice crackled through my link, the best thing since the wireless phone. Her login sequence started seconds before mine. If Churchill's hunch was right, Redwood would be looking for his next victim among the kids shopping on Christmas break. The shopping complex domain gateway was the easiest way into Southside. Unfortunately, the net traffic into Southside would be a nightmare the day after Christmas. It could take as long as five minutes to materialize. For any net cop, five minutes in net space was four and a half minutes too long. I hadn't heard a peep from Redwood in over a year, but you never forget an icon like this. The teddy bear icon was coffee brown for boys and snow white with red for girls. With the right sensory chip, the fur probably felt like the insides of a down comforter. The last of my cross paths with Redwood, his victim had been a 10-year-old girl from Newton. Thank God he hadn't done anything more than kiss her on the cheek and give her milk and cookies. Or he wouldn't have made it to the arraignment. People, that's the opening page to being police. Comes like that, net cops, netizens. This book, you know, it's, go to Twitter. Go look for Tope, follow him up, T-O-P-E-O-L-U-W-O-L-E. And I believe Wole means God has come home, if I recall correctly. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe it, it means. Go on Facebook, check him out, Tope, T-O-P-E-O-L-U-W-L-E. Check him out, check out his fan page. I really encourage you to check out this book. You can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, 
And mind you, you could also get it from him. That's just how I do things and whatnot. But I'm telling you, the book is tight. The book is crisp. And let's take a little quick break here because we have a sponsor that's been nagging us to, to give him some love after he made his little contribution. So we're going to do that, and we're going to see if we can get Mr. Olawule on the line so we can have a conversation. So today's sponsor is Kelly's Yogurt Around the Corner on 8th and brave people. If you ever see me there doing my work, you always notice I have a lot of food in front of me also. Good people, good food, good love. Now, I'm going to give him a little shout-out later on, but let's give a little break here. They said, can I give him a little something uh, techno, something a little, something a little deep. So I said, let's go old school. Since we're talking about the tech, since my man is from Nigeria, got to give a shout-out to all my folks from Niger. What's going on? This is for Tope Oluwule and my Nigerian crew. You don't mess with the Nigerians because they're always about business. If you do, you're playing at your own risk.
Oh my goodness. It's going way back to the day. I'm sorry about that, but I was actually pop locking here. I have like a busted wrist, but I was still able to get down with my groove here. It wasn't easy, but let me let me see if I can get my man on the phone here. Let me let me try something here if we can get this thing to work. See if we can get him on the line here. Oh, I was busy pop locking. Hello. Mr. Olawule, how are you, sir? We have you live on air. What's going on? Hey, hello, Syed. How you doing? Happy Sunday. I can't complain. Hey, happy Sunday to you, too, sir. How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Just enjoying uh, a lovely subset here on the East Coast. Uh, rub it in, brother. Rub it in, rub it in, rub it in. Look, <laughs> the show, we have y- y'all hear the compassion he has for me, how he just laughs at me because he knows I'm suffering in Los Angeles. Oh, oh, compassion. <laughs> What a friend. Anyways, my friend, we have 46 minutes left. It's about you and your book. You got to tell us, first off, how's the family doing? How's the kids? Give them a shout-out because you know the in-laws back in Niger don't hear the name mentioned. It's going to be some problems. Oh, how y'all doing, all the ones out there? Family's doing great. Um, just a new uncle. Uh, my brother, younger brother, had a son a few days ago. So, uh we give my uh, shout out to Ronan Ifel Luwale, the newest member of the clan. Ah, all right, all right. Now, brother, we have to go back to the beginning. We're talking about being police in the sequel. Tell me about being police, how to come together, the origin. I'm, we're all listening to you. Okay, um, being police um, was uh, my first uh, published novel. Um, came out in April 2002. Um, it's about. Uh, Pair of internet police and the futuristic Boston um, who investigate a kidnapping. The idea for it came to me, oddly enough, in a dream. Um, a bit surreal. I was in this urban neighborhood chasing, um, you know, a criminal, a perp, you know, through the streets and, you know, through the alleys. And all of a sudden I heard a gunshot in the distance. And when I finally caught up with the criminal where he had been, I noticed there was a police officer on the floor. Um, dead, and the officer's uh, pistol on the floor um, next to the officer. And then in the distance, I could see the criminal running here in his footfalls. And I just kind of stood there with a thought in my head saying, you know, what do I do? Do I, you know, just go about my business or do I pick up the gun and, you know, chase the criminal? And then I woke up and I thought, I said, what a surreal dream, because I never had any, you know, inclinations to be a cop or anything like that. It wasn't any kind of, uh, you know, heroic transference. And from there, I got this idea of, okay, what if, you know, I was a police officer, but I I said to myself, with a lot of crime dramas, and I'm a big sci-fi fan, so, you know, just a couple of thoughts together became this idea of a futuristic um, Boston, an idea of these internet cops that kind of uh, are a secret elite group um, that investigate net-based, internet-based crimes. So the idea for being, you know, Bostonia Elite Area Network Police became the genesis of what eventually became the Bean Police novel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, I say it's interesting because when I read the novel, as I said earlier on the show, it is so, I, there's a touch of Logan's Run, there's a touch of Akira, there's a touch of Blade Runner, 
it, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. By the way, we love the we love the uh, the vocal effects in the background. It's not like you're back in a booth. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually uh, visiting with some folks I haven't seen in a while, and um, it's funny. It's funny as you call because I'm actually going through. Uh, I have my new mutual friend here who has we have similar tastes. I'm looking at a couple of uh, Orson Scott Card novels, uh, Robert Heinlein, um, mm-hmm. one of my uh, closet favorites, um, and also mm-hmm. uh, a Star Trek. You know, um, this is part of the Next Generation series. Uh, looking at the Klingon Empire to decide my next read. So um, mm-hmm. I'm in my element, if you will. I'm in my element. <laughs> Tell me about your element. You know, as a, as a writer coming from the culture, and I noticed as I was reading the book, and I'm telling you, know, I'm passing on to a lot of folks out in L.A., I noticed you have, like, certain things, like, again, the, the, you, what always stands out for me is the blood single. It just stood out. And a lot of times when it comes to writers in the continent like myself and yourself and, and the rest of our folks out there, a lot of times people think we always talk about the village or the spear and things like that. Right. It seemed like not knowing, not knowing, not myself not knowing all about the Nigerian culture, the Niger culture, it seemed like you was able to interweave the culture story, but still keep it in the genre of science fiction, where it just created this totally unique vision. Is that something that, that was a, an accident or something that's just part of your gift of writing? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely flattered, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, one of the things I wanted to do when I started being police is that my thought was to eventually try to do a if Nigeria or West African if you will base science fiction but not from the perspective of fantasy i.e. you know the village and uh, you know kind of uh, you know witchcraft or you know things like that because there was enough of stuff out there that's you know done pretty well I didn't think I could do anything really beyond that that would be different enough, unique enough, unique enough slant, at least from my experiences around then. So I decided to say, let me take what I know. You know, you mentioned Akira, which is one of my cult favorites in terms of anime um, to watch. So I said, let me take that spin from Bostonia and then really try to lace it with a bit of elements from, you know, the Nigerian culture, so that those familiar or curious to get a sense of, okay, you know, this is an interesting blend, with the idea of being to slowly bring those elements into the story, um, to get people's curiosity um, going, you know. Um, and eventually, you know, depending on um, how people took the story, you know, how I felt about it thereafter, in the future, maybe interweave some of those other elements as well. Mm-hmm. Well, did it help? I believe at the time you had mentioned you were writing or working on the initial book in Brazil at that time. Is, is did I get that correct? Yeah, it's really funny how um, I almost this, I almost didn't write um, being police um, because what had happened is I had done the first draft. Um, I believe you know, 97, and, you know, I came up with some 500-odd pages, and, you know, it just, to me, I just didn't like the way it came out, it just didn't work for me, and I just didn't know what to do, and so I just kind of took all the pages I printed out, put it in a 
couple of rubber bands and just threw it in the corner of my room. <laughs> I said, Let's, we're going to do something else. And then I was in a consulting gig in Boston, and I just was talking, you know, what do you do? And then I, this older guy, you know, probably in his 50s, tell him, oh, yeah, you know, I run this thing, and it just lay in the corner of the room, and he said, stop. He goes, you know, he came from a real technical, you know, background as, as I did. He goes, well, he said, look, like you have, you know, you're a consultant. What do you do when you have a database that doesn't work? You sit down, figure out what's wrong, and you fix it. And I said, no, but this is different. This is writing. You know, I'm just not. He goes, it's not different. He goes, what's wrong with it? I said, well, there isn't. I don't feel like there's continuity in there. It seems very just jumbled. He goes, well, go in there and fix it. And I was like, well, he goes, you can do it. You know, there are no other excuses. So I said, okay, I'll see. He goes, no, no, fix it. You know, fix it. He goes, the hardest part was writing it. Now fix it. So I had a trip going to Brazil, um, and this was 2001. And, you know, I was going to be there for five weeks. And a family friend, you know, um, in the capital of Brasilia, you know, she was well off, so she had a whole third floor of her house that basically I could be my writing pad. So and. Basically, with the days I had, I would just get on the computer and just just work through it, go through each page, and, you know, move this, edit that, change this, cut, cut, rewrite. And um, I basically spent uh, every day of those four or so weeks just really trying to pull it together, you know, get it to a point where it could work. Um, not my ideal, but just get it, get the story to work, which is what he kept telling me and that's the dedication you see in the uh in being policed michael miller michael miller um he was the one who basically look find out what's wrong and make it work mm-hmm. and it definitely worked brother it definitely worked let me have a question before we go out i want you to talk about the sequel and a lot of people can't get the first book out and you have a sequel out as a writer and you know the challenge of getting your work published you're working on you are just put out your second the sequel to the first book what advice do you have for those writers out there, particularly those from the culture? Well, not, well, not saying it's specific from the culture, but what do you have for those advice you have for those writers out there, regardless of genre, who are really saying, no one wants to publish my book, no one wants to look at it, I don't, and they just kind of just give up. What, what words can you give them? Um, the first thing, I mean, this comes from writing, you know, since, you know, 86 when I started journaling in uh, middle school. And what I would tell them is to, first of all, at this point, realize that publishing is a business process, okay? Writing is a creation, cre- a creative process. Um, and to make a parallel in film, you know, there's the show and the business part of show business. The show is the creative part, and the business is the business part. I would tell writers, focus on the writing part first, because without that, there's nothing to publish. So work on the writing part, you know, get it down, however you need to get it down. Your first attempts won't be spectacular. And for me, I'm lucky because coming from a technical background, you know, with software, I mean, everybody who's ever used Windows knows, you know, the first version of Windows by today's standard would be garbage, but it was the first. It got people interested. People understood what the creators were trying to do. And so they they, they bought in knowing that, as time went by, better versions would be out. So I would tell people, look, if you have an idea out there, 
get it on paper, finish it. If it's garbage and you feel you don't want to do anything with it, fine. But get it done so you, at least you have something to make a attempt with. Now, on the publishing side, um, I would encourage writers to realize that things have changed so much that it's no longer, you know, the mountain which you have to climb and get permission to suffer the ability to get to the top. Right now with the Internet, with self-publishing, with partnership publishing, there's so many ways to get your work out there. And I would tell them the prominent thing is to get your work out there. Even if it means just putting it in PDF and sending it to everybody that's on your friend list on Facebook. Because what you want to do is, first of all, get in the habit of completing stuff and getting it out there. So you get feedback to give you more um, give you more information in terms of how you can better your writing and how to get it further. And out of that process, you'll actually get people who will be your followers. You know, it might be start off with 10 people, 100, whatever, but that will help you build that groundswell so that, you know, five, six, ten years later, you have a following of people that would have been you and helped you get to um, where you want to be. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say, you know, definitely get the work out there, get it done, and don't be discouraged that, you know, you don't have an agent, you know, because you don't have you know, uh, you know, certain credentials, you know, I would just tell them, you know, don't be discouraged and look for people who are trying to go where you want to go or who have done what you need, you know, what you're trying to do and Mm -hmm. use them to help you build that, um, uh, that energy need to, to, to get to that point where you can say, okay, I've got the first item out. My goodness, I'm going to have to write that down, make that into like a, one of those motivational books and put it out there because it seems like, you know, at least you're willing to give the knowledge because I've met so many writers who, well, you know, this is my little secret, so I'm not going to tell you, but one thing I've noticed is that when I've seen, you know, some of your earlier work and talked and had, our, you know, just our conversations, you're very forthcoming with the knowledge of like, look, this is how it's done, this is what might happen, but just persevere. And persevering led you to your sequel. So tell us about the sequel. What's going on with the sequel? Tell us about that book, my friend. Um, the sequel, again, was uh, quite a um, <clears throat> very experimental. I mean, I had been working with a couple of ideas in terms of a sequel since about maybe 2004. Um, but, you know, marriage in 2005, kid, you know, life got busy, and I kind of just faded away and faded back. You know, I kind of did, you know, short stories, some screenplays, you know, I even penned an opera, you know, as a part of, as on a dare, you know, I did an opera. Um, <clears throat> so finally I said, okay, people have been asking me when you're doing the sequel. Now it's time to do it. And so I decided that let's try something different. Rather than the traditional path of publishing, let's really try to control the process because I know that's something that tends to discourage people. And part of it was just saying, okay, can I do this, and how would, it, how would it work? So the idea was to do a novella rather than a full-blown novel and just, mm-hmm. you know, distribute it electronically and to learn about the process and see how it went. So what I decided to do was to, instead of having it in Bostonia, you know, the futuristic Boston, let's really try to incorporate some of those, you know, Nigerian themes and really just see, okay, what would this look like if we kind of brought it to the, um, to the continent, as you would say. So the premise is that, you know, the 
protagonists from Bean Police, you know, the two detectives, are extraditing um, a criminal back to um, a futuristic um, Nigeria, um, particularly the city of mm-hmm. New Lagos. And mm-hmm. while they're there, they're just thinking they're dropping, you know, the criminal back. But while they're there, um, an inspector um, who's actually a, uh, um, you know, a Caucasian, but he's lived in, you know, Nigeria so long, he's considered almost, you know, um, a local. But he basically recruits them to be deputies to help him investigate a kidnap, excuse me, a murder of a uh, professor at a university. Um, so they're kind of taken out of their element while they're used to having, you know, really high amounts of technology and just the resources to, you know, go what they need to do and really have to learn that they're in a different environment where the rules are different. And um, that takes them through their next adventure. So it was really an opportunity to experiment with what a futuristic um, Nigeria might look like in terms of the level of technology, what works, what doesn't, and really kind of weave in a lot of cultural themes. Um, Again, really to just experiment through the possibilities and uh, see where it would go. The possibilities and see where to go and give us the I, I said the I said the title of the sequel but I don't think I pronounced it righteously the way you would say it so what is the the, the righteous way to say the sequel's title? Okay, the sequel is called The Girl from My Dugary. My Dugary is a city in the northeastern part of Nigeria. Um, it's predominantly Muslim. Um, the split mm-hmm. between Christian and Muslim in Nigeria is pretty much fifty fifty. So. <clears throat> Part of the story takes place in my degree, um, but most of it in New Lagos. And I just thought uh, it was a way to kind of celebrate uh, some of the contrasts um, that occur in Nigeria. But still make it kind of part of the Bean Police series, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, did someone want to ask you, because, again, we talked earlier, mentioned earlier, and you brought – and you actually – hammered that point in in a very subtle way in reference to Nigeria. You know, the big thing, well, not for us, that we know about it now, but the, the thing that everybody's getting hip to is the Nollywood films, being out here in L.A., you know, I've met a lot of brothers from the brothers from the continent via the U.K. or straight from Niger, you know, um, there's Haas Hakim, Raz Adoki out here, Fab Rimu, mm-hmm. there's also uh, Odero from Sacred Drum Theater, there's also back in New York, Chet Anekwe, and there's so many Nigerians. Yep, yep. You see... In film, there was a point where you saw a lot of the Australians coming into the game in Hollywood. Now you're seeing, do you think the same movement is happening in reference to the Nigerian talent coming into, into uh, the entertainment business, film, writing? Because there's a doctor, I think her name is Anika, out of Chicago. I'm probably mispronouncing it wrong, but she's a great writer, science fiction also. But do you notice that same kind of wave here, or do you see it just a little different? What do you, what's your insight on that? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, question and point you bring up. Um, what I've noticed is that, you know, with the prominence of Nollywood that's been on the uh, – it, now it seems to be on the mainstream radar, if you will. And I think through that it's creating uh, not only a uh, initially as a video-based film industry, but now more traditional kind of more digital film. I think out of that industry being built, you're having a lot of – uh, spin-offs of that in terms of you're getting, you know, 
uh, writers are they getting developed you know from the screen maybe going through other avenues maybe writing for television you have mm-hmm. you know uh, part of the you know set and crew being developed from Nollywood you know you have grips you have you know makeup you have lighting so all that's starting to grow as Nollywood gets influence from you know Hollywood Bollywood they're getting more professional and so is the industry and the scope of it so in terms of writing, you know, I mean, you've always had writers out there, but there's been this curse, for lack of a better word, in that, you know, <laughs> Africans don't read. And I said, mm-hmm. maybe they don't read as much as we're aware of. However, mm-hmm. the Africans everywhere, you know, the Africans everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there are different generations and cultural uh, makeups of these Africans. But at the end of the day, regardless in my experience of whether you're, you know, a 60-year-old, you know, um, man in the DRC, you know, who's never left, mm-hmm. or you're an mm-hmm. up-and-coming, you know, um, Ghanaian-American in his second year at, you know, uh, Brown University, you still mm-hmm. want to have some reflection of where you come from and what you consume from media, whether it's News from home, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, a comic book, you still want a sense of reflection of where you come from. And that goes for anybody, you know, white, black, mm-hmm, you know, Hawaiian, whatever. You want to sense what you, you, stories that you enjoy tend to be stories that reflect something you can connect to. And I think Africans are starting to take more control of that. They're starting to make stories that have reflections of who they are. Because they're aware that not only do they want that, but those around them want that. So I think you're, that's what you're probably seeing and hearing, you know, more and more writers, you know, getting a little bit more notoriety, coming more and more on the radar today. Yeah, you know, writers such as uh, there's an L.A. web series out here by a good brother named uh, Michael Anikway, Ajekway. Cool guy. Okay. He's actually written for, yeah, I believe he's actually an Emmy winner or Emmy nominee winner. So he's doing some things, and his web fest is just getting submissions from all around the world. So it's interesting because his web fest reminds me of your book and then conversing with you. When you do your book, and sometimes you know, this, this might what an agent may ask you, is do you write for the sci-fi audience? Do you write for the Niger audience? Do you just write for the genre? Or you just write? Um, there's a there's a odd quote um, that I read about writing, and um, a, a writer I can't think of his name was asked the same question, and he ascribed it to um, and forgive me, I hope there are no kids listening, but uh, he ascribed it to how someone might get into um, you know the business of uh, you know working the streets, and that first you do it um, for yourself because it's pleasurable, then you do it for your friends, you know. And then you finally do it um, <laughs> for the rest of the public. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is, I mean, when I first wrote, it was kind of what I liked to see, which was primarily like um, detective-style stories um, since I was a kid. You know, so that was kind of the slant I came from. Um, and then, you know, as I got a little older and, you know, the Star Wars generation, you know, Space 1999, for those who may be old enough to remember Ooh. that science fiction series. You know, all right, um, all right. And then it really started like just, I just anything sci-fi that I could dream up, I want to just throw it in there and, and make it happen. Um, so I think right now, I would say I write 
according to the passions that may stir within me for a particular topic or a particular um, feeling, you know, that I may have that I want to share with the audience. And um, I think that's what I put a lot into being police. And, you know, people that commented on it could sense some of the emotions I I was trying to reach. And that's how I knew, okay, it did work, you know, it did work. So I would say those are the three things, really. It's a sense of, you know, what the passions are and the feelings I want to emote in others. Nice. I mean, once again, you never get one of those, yeah, I write for myself. You have to go deep into the cut <laughs> to make sure people understand where you're coming from. And again, I appreciate, you know, just the insight you're giving because I think one thing, you know, as a writer on the continent, I always give a lot of love to the writers because I think the blank painting for, for people to look at so to be able to write a novel such as Beast and create a universe that actually makes sense, okay. that's something that has to be commended. That really has to be. That, that, I have a lot of love for that, for that, for that, for that gift that you have. No, I, I mean, I give, uh, I, you know, I, 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 give, I definitely give the, the glory to God because, um, you know, people ask me, you know, they, they, they almost want to put me on a pedestal because, you know, I've I published them. I said, listen. I think one of the greatest gifts I can give someone who is interested in writing is to demystify the process. You know, I tell people, they're writers out there, they write more prolific, much better, but God gave me this gift. You know, he gave me this gift. I mean, I would, I tell people, I would write whether I got paid or not. I mean, I would write if I never sold any other books. I would still write. And I tell people, you know, if you're writing because of, you know, you have an idea of, you know, Pulitzer or, you know, Big Bankers or Big Advance, I said, you're probably going to be disappointed, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> if you write because, you know, you can't sleep at night and you get up and write, or because you just some, you have something gnawing at you that you just got to scratch and then you write, I think those are like, those are great reasons to write, you know. For me, mm-hmm. I can't not write, you know, and I don't write. I'm like, I feel like I'm, you know, lazing about just idling away. So I have no choice. You know, I have to write, you know, um, <laughs> because I tell people, you know, I make money doing more money doing other things, you know, but writing is something I have to do. It's kind of my, uh, uh, as a fellow would say, um, the old musician, rest in peace, you know, it's um, black man's burden, you know, <laughs> Um, so that's the, way, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> you know, a lot of these films that are out now, is like, for example, I think it's the Adjustment Bureau, and then we have Total Recall, we have Blade Runner. Right. They're all based on the, they're all based on the short stories of Philip P. Dick. Do you ever wonder, right, right, right. Ever, how would you feel if 10 years down the road or 10 years down the road or four road, you realize there's films coming out based on the Bean Police series or your short stories and things like that. Do you think that'd be a good thing as long as people understand the meaning behind, uh, you know, of of what you wrote? Or do you think that'd be a bad thing of Bean Police 3D, they go see it and they're like, okay, this isn't the book. I mean, what's your you know, film is evolving now based on, on literary property like yourself? Uh, first of all, if that ever happened, I think I was in some kind of bizarre universe. Um, 
you know, I don't feel like there are any new ideas. I think they're just new slants on old ideas. And mm-hmm. I would like to think that what I'm doing and what I've done contributes to some kind of collective where I'm adding value to something else. Somebody else is previously before me has added value to my influences, you know, oddly enough were a combination of film, TV, and books. You know, I grew up, you know, in late Nigeria, you know, my kind of pre-adolescent years, and there wasn't much TV, um, but there were a lot of books. So I ended up reading, you know, Count of Monte Cristo, Alice in Wonderland, you know, um, Prince Caspian. So a lot of those things kind of allowed my imagination to run wild. Um and somebody else had done that years before I was born. So what I hope to contribute is to that collective is just give people inspiration to pay it forward, you know, so they can do something that's going to inspire somebody else to do something. Um, and even if it's outside of the arts, but I think we have the arts to inspire people to go out into the world and add what they've been gifted to do. So I think a good thing is that if someone says, you know, they see something about being police and maybe they decide to make a trip to West Africa for the first time, you know, so something like that. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think that would be on the positive end. Um, the negative end is they use something like that to maybe either stereotype or, you know, uh, you know, oppress, you know, a particular demographic, you know. Um, I know when District 9 came out, you know, I hadn't seen it, and, you know, uh, on Facebook, a lot of people are like, oh, he's not Jen, you know, what do you think about this? And I was like, I have to, I'm like, mm-hmm. I was like, what's District 9? And they were like, huh, you mm-hmm. haven't heard? And, you know, mm-hmm. apparently there was a lot of uproar about the depictions of Nigerians, and I said, you know what, once upon a time I get upset, but I remember what my dear friend Saeed Dabinga told me, you know, when I guess that Bruce Willis film came out, I can't think of the name. Um, when he was a, yeah, yeah, you know. He said, look, all you people complaining, you know what? If you don't like it, go make your own movie. Now, at the time, mm-hmm. if you weren't paying attention, it sounded crass, but that was the kind of best advice you could give somebody. Because the reason mm-hmm. District 9 is out, Tears of the Sun, because those people got together, did what they do, you know, got financing, got actors, and they made a movie. Mm. Now, if there's nothing to counter that, then that's what people will see. But if you go out mm. there and make your own movie, you know, I know people are saying, "Well, I don't have Hollywood money." Look, forty-eight hour film festival entry fees, one hundred and twenty-five bucks. You can make a movie. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, get out there and counter it. So I think that's that's one of the things I think people can can hopefully get out of, um, even when stuff is profaned incorrectly, I think inspiration from that is you use that negative energy to motivate yourself to put out something positive. I feel there's something, well, first off, thank you for, you know, for the, uh, remind me of those words. I remember the conversation actually. And yeah, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for reminding me of those words. That was a deep stress when the sun came I can definitely relate to that. The thing as a writer for you, um, when Wesley Snipes, who's now doing a three-year bid, hold tight, brother. 
Call on Wesley. I thought he was out. I thought he was out. <laughs> oh, was he out? I don't, he might be out on yeah, the because I'm the heel. I don't know. <laughs> if that's the case, I have, to, I, have to, I, have to, I have to get on my Blade 4 script quickly. <laughs> yeah, I got to get on him because I think he did a movie uh, when, he first, when he first came out, I think last year. Oh, I got. I can get him quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do do that. <laughs> they did the movie um, Sugar Hill back in the day. Ah yes. People were criticizing him about the movie because it was their book line. But he said the line that always stood with me. He goes. I'm showing the Brooklyn except for the Yankee fans and Jets fans, but anyway. But he said, I'm showing the Brooklyn that I see, not the way it is. When you do your writing, because, again, Niger comes up, Nigeria comes up, are you presenting Nigeria as you see it and not the not the, the negative connotation perceptions people have of Nigeria? Are you aware? Is that a subtle thing or that's a conscious effort? I think that's a great question because – I had several ideas of how I might, you know, uh, this um, portray Nigerian the writing. At the end of the day, I think I do it the most justice if I prepare, portray it the way I see it. Um, even if it's negative at times, it's, it's definitely going to be from my perspective. I mean, I always joke with people that, I'm, you know, technically I'm Nigerian, but compared to like what I call real Nigerians, you know, they spend most of their life in Nigeria. You know, if they're in America, it's been for a handful of years. You know, I've only lived in, you know, in Nigeria seven of my almost 40 years. But I still have a perspective um, based on living there at a young age in a different time when Nigeria was more prosperous. And also living here, having Nigerian family and parents and experiencing Nigerians in the diaspora. So I write from my perspective because I think that's more credible. You know, I mean, I could never write a novel about the Biafra War that would be as poignant as mm-hmm. writing about, you know, a Nigerian-American couple who are going to college in the United States, you know, while trying to sort out the immigration issues. Because, you know, I wasn't a child of Biafra, and I don't have those cultural connections to really do it justice the way I would want to. Um so really it's from my perspective to really give it credibility versus how it actually is. And sometimes you can do both. Um, it's just there's so many um, perspectives to it. Um, there was this documentary I saw, which was I thought it was pretty good, called Welcome to Nigeria, kind of showing the BBC did it, you know, showing how um, Nigeria really is from the everyday man perspective. Um, you can probably catch it on YouTube if you Google um, you know, if you search Welcome to Nigeria. But, you know, when that came out, you know, there were a lot of real Nigerians, as I call them, who were, you know, why did they show that, you know, it put Nigeria in a bad light. And I said, yes, it did, but it, were they lying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew the answer to the question because, you know, I've lived there. I've been past those places. They didn't make any of this stuff up. Um, so I think you can do it from your perspective, and if, if you're truthful, um, do it as it is as well. Mm-hmm. Man. <laughs> I like that. Were <laughs> <Well>, they lying? <laughs> That's a good one. I know they always watch. I know they show some clips of Kong. like, oh, my God, why are they showing that? But but is it true? It's okay, then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody likes to see 
Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about that reaction. Because <laughs> it's so righteous. It's so true. Well, so people, true. people didn't, people didn't like that I brought that up. <laughs> people didn't like this. <laughs> <laughs> and before we forget, I had mentioned earlier on Twitter, on Facebook, how can people find you? How can they order the book? How can they contact you? Just to get advice just on writing or they want to order the book or stay in touch with you. Uh, what are the options they have for, uh, to, to reach you that way? Uh, bring it out to the people. Talk to me. Okay, um, the sequel is um, The Girl From My Degree. Right now it's um, available um, via Amazon.com uh, for the Kindle. Now, you don't have to have a Kindle, as I told someone who would ask. They make uh, Kindle readers for, you know, Android, um, iPhone, iPad, or what have you. So if you just go to Amazon.com, you know, Google my name or Bean Police, um, you'll be able to find it. Uh, the original Beam Police, because um, people have asked me about that as well, it's out of print, but you might actually you probably find some huge copies out there. I was surprised there were a few. You know, I said, people, look, if I don't get famous, feel free to resell it. I won't be offended. <laughs> so um, you may be able to find uh, used copies as well. Um, also, people had asked me, am I planning to do a hard copy um, of, you know, uh, the sequel, The Girl from My Dugary. Um The plan initially was, just to get it out there e-format and see how people received it. And what I might do is possibly a hard copy anthology, you know, sometime down the line for Bean Police. Um, you can also Google um, Tokpe Oluwale, that's T-O-P-E, last name O-L-U-W-O-L-E, online. And you can hit me up on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook as well. And as, as we have technology, let me bring it back just a little bit because you had brought this up earlier. You know, you talk about our film festival. Can you talk about that and also how technology is possible to take out of the equation? I don't have any money to do a film. Could you touch on that? Because you had mentioned the 48-hour film festival. Can you talk a little details about that? Oh, yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, took my fancy was um, uh, film as well. And that's where I get, you know, inspiration from as well. The 48-hour film festival... Um, I got introduced to it by a friend who, oddly enough, had heard that I did Bean Police. And in a pinch, she said, look, he needed a writer, you know, for the Foyer Film Festival. And I said, well, I haven't done a lot of screenplays. So I was like, you might want something. He goes, no, no, no. I've known you since grade school. You're the guy, and I'm in a pinch. So he explained to me that the 48-hour film festival is an organization that uh, all over the United States and other parts of the world it's a festival that allows amateur filmmakers to really get something out there in terms of film. They're shorts that are start to finish made in 48 hours. Typically, you start at 7 p.m. on a Friday where you get a theme, a prop, and a piece of dialogue and a genre. So based on those elements, you basically have 48 hours to complete start to finish the film that includes scouting locations, getting a script, getting actors, you know, filming, editing, all that stuff between 48 hours. And um, they have guidelines in terms of length. It can be no more, the script, I think, uh, it can be no more than like seven minutes or something in length. That includes opening and closing credits. But what I liked about it is that it's a really low barrier of entry into film and writing if you're interested uh, so I just never heard of it, and I got in there, and you know, 
Uh, we got there at 7, and, you know, we worked around the clock and with some other writers. You know, we did a short, I think the first one was a six-page script, and, you know, we got some other people who were interested in acting and editing, and we all got together. Most of us, you know, grew up in Cambridge and went to grade school or high school together. And, you know, by Sunday, 7 p.m., we had a film. Um, and you can see links to that if uh, you go to my blog, uh, Epot Lounge. That's E-P-O-T-L-O-U-N-G-E. Uh, if you Google that um, and just look for a 48-hour film festival within the uh, links, you can see some of the stuff that uh, I've been a part of over the last um, several years or so. Or you can just go to, um, you know, Google 48-hour, excuse me, 48-hour film festival to find out a little bit more of what it's about. It usually occurs, I want to say, end of April, uh, beginning of May, for Boston, but we also do it in Rhode Island, in New York, in L.A., you know, other cities as well. Um, so it's very demographic, excuse me, democratic from that standpoint. Nice, nice. And I'm sure people are Googling that information right now because, you know, a lot of things have been happening in Boston film-wise and all the good stuff. In our remaining minute here, what was, uh, what's on your mind? What do you want to share with the world out there? What do you want to share with the writers out there? Any further inspiration or insight or knowledge of the game or anything like that you want to share in our remaining here? Okay, in a minute, I would say, first of all, find out what your gifts are. Okay, find out what your gifts are, what you want in the life. And secondly, find out what you can give to the world that nobody else can. And it doesn't have to be super spectacular. It can be as simple as, I want to make the best cup of coffee that anybody ever had. Or, you know, I want to be able to, you know, film the mating patterns of huck-billed torches. You know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. What gift do you have and how can you contribute that to the greater world out there? And in terms of writing and film specifically, you know, just start. You know, people ask me, oh, how do I start? How do I? I demystify that. Tell people I'm not very prolific. It takes me a long time to write. There are tons of writers out there better than me. But the only difference between me and people who are publishers is that I basically got up one day and wrote. I encourage people to get out mm -hmm. there, start, finish, try to publish. doesn't matter what they do. Once you're done, start, finish, and so on. So just get out there. Don't, don't be discouraged. Um, and you know what? thing about gifts is that, you know, it's from the divine, in my opinion, you know. Mm. And whatever is divine mm. will find some way to come through you and out into the world. Mm. That's it. Mm. Brother, once again, you're bringing it. I, I, you're bringing it as it has to be brought. And please give a hug to, the, you know, to my sister-in-law, you know, my little ones back there. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your sanctuary there with the with the, you know, with the crew, to talk to the people, talk to the world. You know, I have a lot of love. You know, I love you, brother. I haven't seen you in a long time. But, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us and the listeners. And hopefully and pray for me down the, world, down the road a year from now. Someone's going to say, man, I heard Tope. He said, you wrote a book and did a sequel. I'm going to write my third book tomorrow. So, hey, thanks again, my friend, for, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, and um, I just want to thank you, Saeed, and I want to thank um, all the listeners out there. And, uh Thank you for the privilege. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. Anytime, anytime. Take it easy. Okay, take care. And there we go, people. That is our, our artist, our author for today. Let's take a 
We're going to close it out. We have three minutes left. We're going to take this off air. I hope you got some words of wisdom. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with author Tope Oluwule, Nigerian brother from the continent. Nothing but love, nothing but love. Check out his book. You have a way to find him on Facebook, on Twitter. Check him out. Friend him. Ask him questions. The, the, the books are, are are no joke. They're awesome. They're just deep. And I'm, I feel privileged to have the option to make the film on the first one. <laughs> so, hey, look, three minutes left. Let's take this out. Let's give a shout-out to the, the Nigerians out there in the world. Uh, let's play a little uh, Oren by Adal. People, Saiki Kesa Dabinga, much love. Check us out tomorrow. I think tomorrow is uh, Word on the Street, Battle Libya. We have a lot to talk about. It's going to be a 90-minute show. Tune in. Bring your thoughts. Bring your questions. Let's see if we can figure out what's going on. Saiki Kesa Dabinga, live and direct. Word on the Street, Atatope Olawule. People, I am gone. I was born to rule In this world without a no exception All I'm gonna do is to walk in the way All I'm gonna do is to walk in away, away.
You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.